Good morning. Well, this is one of those days where I feel like I'm just in the way. We're going to have some testimonies and some baptisms, and I might just go home. I don't know. But I, I was led to this text, and I think I have some things here, so let me pray. And, um, but I am going to be quick, Lord willing. Uh, God, thank you. Thank you for the resurrection. And literally this morning, I woke up, heard the birds chirping for the first time, saw the sunrise, and the heavens declare the glory of God. It's just, it's truth if we have eyes to see and ears to hear. It's no accident. And so, thank you for that. I pray that uh, you would resurrect joy in our hearts. Some of us are there and feeling joyful, and some of us are somewhere else on the spectrum, and some of us are in a dark place. And I just pray that your power by the Spirit, by your Spirit, God, you would, you would bring life, faith, joy, and peace to all here. Amen. Ephesians. I preached on this book before, so you guys already know this stuff. It's good to revisit all these things. Ephesians 2, 4 through 7. But God, it starts out that way, and it's because of verses 1 through 3. So let me just read 1 through 3 really quickly. This is describing our lives before Christ. You were dead in your sin, in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked. You were following the course of this world, just moving along with the world, and following the prince of the power of the air, that's Satan. This is a poor condition, and the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. We are now the sons of God. We were the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. That's bad news. But God. That's it. Because God has to do this. The analogy here is that you're dead. I've heard people talk about salvation kind of like, you know, you're drowning and, and God sends you a life preserver and you, you got to choose whether or not to grab it. And it's like, no, you're dead. You're at the bottom, covered in water, not breathing. You, you, you're not going to do anything about this. What hope is there? But God. We do nothing. It's free. It's literally free. I, went, I took my kids, uh, my daughters, to Burger Fiend yesterday. And uh, I get a dollar every time I mention them, by the way. <laughs> Lamar Sisk, is that you? Come on in. We have chairs. Uh, if we, run, we do have some seats in here, but we have some chairs. Glenn, could you make sure people have? He's just going to scream. Oh, bring him in. That's, why aren't you guys screaming? Jeez. Took my daughters to Burger Fiend, and man, that stuff adds up. I looked at them like, you guys are not cheap. And I said, at least I made you for free. And my, my nine-year-old goes, no, you didn't. And I was like, what do you mean? She goes, you did something. She goes, free is when you just go to the store and you just grab something and take it. She goes, that is not what you did. <laughs> I told her I was going to fit it into the sermon. I'm not sure how it fits, but it's in the sermon. All right. <laughs> Salvation is free. There it is. There's a connection. Well, why would God do, do such a thing? Because he is rich in mercy. Rich. You love that word, right? He doesn't just have mercy. He's rich in it. So we're, as we go through this text, you're going to see this language, this, this 
we talk about God's love and mercy and all this, but he keeps adding these adjectives to it. It's not just mercy. He's rich in mercy. I looked up mercy, the moral quality of one feeling compassion. So God looks at us in verse 1 through 3 in that condition, being by nature children of, of wrath, and he feels compassion, but not just feeling compassion, but especially of showing kindness towards someone in need. That's me, someone in need. So God, being rich in mercy, he has this mercy, and it's, it's rich. I looked up the word rich, and one of the words used to define it was opulent. So I had to look that up, and it said ostentatious. <laughs> so I don't know what any of this means. Rich and luxurious or lavish, right? This is this picture of God. It's luxurious. It's lavish. Come back to that. He goes on, verse 4. He, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us. Right? You get, he's stacking this stuff. He loved us. Oh, with what? Love. What kind of love? Great love. It's the great love with which he loved us. That's what he's going to do. That's what he's doing, loving us with great love. With that love, what did he do? He made us alive. We were dead. He made us alive. It's a miracle. We once were dead to God. Now we are alive. Once Christ was irrelevant at least and disdainful at worst, we were enemies of the cross, and now we see him. And Paul says anyone who's in Christ is a new creation. Behold, he says, the old has passed, the new has come. That's who we are. There's this story about St. Augustine, who was an old, old Christian from like the 4th century. And he was once dead in his trespasses and sins. And following the passions of his flesh, you can read his stories. I mean, he was out there pushing it, right? And then he got saved. He was made alive. And years went by, and he was a new creation. And he ran into one of his old flames, and she runs up to him, and she says, Augustine. She starts talking with him, and she's not getting the same response that she's used to getting from him. It's distant. It's not, he's not drawn to her. And she thinks, well, maybe he didn't recognize me. And she says, Augustine, it is I. And he says, yeah, but it is not I. He's a new creation. You're a new creation. It is not you. You're made alive. Listen. We are not sinners. We all stumble on what we say. And me as a teacher, am no, no, I'm not, no exception. <clears throat> I'm literally doing it right now. In the theological camp that I've come up in, it's common to say, yeah, well, we're sinners. And I get the sentiment. But we're not. We are saints. We carry around this body of flesh that Christ will deliver us from, but this is about identity. Do we sin? Yeah. We are not sinners. That is not who we are. We are made alive. We are in Christ. We are sons of God. We are saints. We are a priesthood of believers. We are God's holy ones. That is not who I am anymore. You are not a sinner if you have come to Christ. If you have not, that is all you are. But he invites you. Come and be made new, be made alive, united to him. Listen to this. All this comes to unity with Christ. He made us alive together with Christ. Christ was raised from the dead, so were we. We were once dead, we are made alive. Christ was in the grave, he is now alive. And we have been seated with him, who? The Father. We are seated with God in the heavenly places. 
We're going to come back to that in a minute. Oh, gosh. He seated us with him in the heavenly places. In Christ Jesus, what for? So that in the coming ages, and I think that's this age and the age to come, here's what God is going to do. He has a plan for you. What is he going to do? He's going to show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness towards you in Christ Jesus. That's his to-do list. (laughs) And again, look how he's stacking the adjectives, right? It's not just riches, but immeasurable riches. That's what he's doing. In kindness toward us. All right, so the idea of him being rich and lavish and opulent, right? As opposed to being miserly. I am miserly. God has to grow me in generosity. My initial instinct is always, ah. my wife texts me yesterday and says, my son's playing soccer. And she says, uh, hey, Augie, there's an opportunity for them to sign up. You pay 58 bucks. I didn't have to read any further. You know, I'm like, I don't know, I don't know about that. That's my gut. You sign up, and then they'll, they'll get them Subway, you know, when they travel away games. I'm like, for 58 bucks, give them some Jimmy John's at least. But, but listen, I know my heart. I'm like, hmm. That doesn't mean we don't discern and have budgets. You know, like, that's not what I'm saying. I'm saying I know my heart. Right? It's not like my wife. I know what she's thinking. She texts me, so what do you think? She's, she, there's no way you're saying no that, to that. No way. She never saw a budget in her life. Even when, I show it, even when I show it to her, she's like, I see nothing. I see nothing. But don't, don't, I don't want to be miserly. No, that wouldn't be fun. She's like, I could pack for him. And I'm like, oh, that, he'd be going to be that kid? Like, now, listen, I'm that kid. Look, look, let me tell you a story. Parents, I love you, but here's the deal. My parents probably aren't watching. But, well, my mom. Um, I was in the Boy Scouts when I was a kid. Not for long. I wasn't very good at anything. And they would, we'd take turns bringing snacks. And all the kids would bring, they'd, when it was snack day, they'd bring little Debbies and Doritos and that kind of thing. I was like, oh, this is great. And it was my turn to bring snacks. My mom says, you're taking apples. This is the day you want to eat healthy. All of a sudden, in a brown bag, and, I'm wa- and I walk there, right? This is why, this is my life. So I'm walking to, uh, you know, like through the snow, uphill. No, just through a neighborhood, and in this paper bag, and it breaks. <laughs> now, that doesn't seem like a big deal now, right? But as a kid, you're just, and now, so all the apples are bruised and wet, and you show up like. <laughs> that is not God's plan for us. I serve as contrast. My wife, however, I want to linger on this idea of being lavish because that's who I married. My wife is opulent. She's lavish. You know what she's making for dinner? You said you're going to make lamb sog, which was just Indian food. and It has like 100 ingredients in it or something. And sometimes if I'm there with her, I like to come alongside and help as she cooks, right, because I've got to clean up. There's, and, and Indian food is messy. Well, not only that, she says, I'm not just going to make lamb sog. I'm going to make lamb sog and butter chicken. Why? She's lavish. She wants to, that's who I married. Augie, we have actual footage of her in the kitchen. Could you play that, please? 
It'll come up. Just be patient. There it is. Yes. We're going to sit here for a minute. <laughs> I told you I was going to talk about you today. Okay. Candy exists because of God's opulence. He gives us candy. Do you, have, do you guys have candy, a candy dish at home? I didn't grow up with a candy dish. There's always candy available. We don't have candy dish. We have candy dishes. Augie? Next? Those are the candy dishes. You've been to my house that is constantly full, and you just, I don't eat, I can't eat that. It's constant temptation. We're not done. Listen. <laughs> now, th this, is, this is beauty, really. My, my wife, she's opulent, and, and I'm not, and so there's been this point of friction. Where I'm like, why? Why do we need 700 lights? Decorative lights. Wait, Augie, we flip through these? Oh, shell lights. She likes shell lights. So just go. Just start moving through this. This is my house. Keep going. Keep going. That's salt. That's a salt lake or something like that. <laughs> no back to shells. Keep going. My electric bill, you don't even want to know. <laughs> Go on. Now we're getting into these are multiples. and mul This is everywhere. This is in every room. This is outside even. It gets outside. Now, <laughs> you did that. You want people to see it, right? It's Now... <laughs> Now, the, here's the thing. Here's the thing. Um, what is this, right? The, the part of me that goes, oh, gosh, is that really necessary? Like, and the answer is yes, it is. And I've learned that if I try to shut that down, I shut her down. And I don't want to shut that down because that is a gift from God and a picture of God in our lives. There's more to this. Plants. <laughs> now, hold on. Just pause right there. That's the front porch. Eight. And those aren't small. Eight plants on one porch. Now, just go, Augie. Let's just move through this. I just went around the house. And every sometimes I walk by and I'm like, Is that, that, that's new. She's sneaking them. She literally brings them when I'm not there. Just keep going. They're like 40 plants. Keep going. Move quickly to that last one. She threatened me. She sent me a text um, of, wait till you see it, wait for it. I mean, this. Okay, hold on. That's not, that's not in our house, but she sends me this and says, Coming soon to a sunroom near you. <laughs> that thing's like seven feet tall. <laughs> All right, babe, we're done. The point is, lavish, opulence. That's, that's the image of that in my life. God wants to show you the immeasurable riches of his grace. That's nothing. That's nothing. Someone texted me yesterday and said, are we going to have donuts tomorrow? Because we usually do on Easter. And you know why we don't? Because I'm miserly. I didn't even think about it. I just forgot about it. Just put Aubrey in charge of it. We'd be sitting on donuts. 
Oh, I got more here. She, <laughs> okay, it's like God, right? He's like, okay, the father says to the son, we are going to save people. And he's like, all right, the Jews? He's like, that's not enough. Every tribe and nation, right? Aubrey has plants from every tribe and nation. You remember that verse a few weeks ago in Isaiah where it says that the plants, are, the trees are going to clap their hands for us? She is preparing for that moment. I swear that's what she's doing, just walking around the house, just waiting for these plants, plants to start applauding. She is believing the gospel. All right, I think I'm done. Okay, let's move quickly here. Um, we are seated with Christ, he says. We are seated with him in the heavenly places. You have a spiritual position that has nothing to do with location. Let me use an analogy. You ever heard the phrase, you're living in the past? What does that mean? That your mind, heart, and identity are stuck somewhere due to something, some trauma, some relationship, or something like that. You have a spiritual position that has nothing to do with your geographic position. It's your source and place of identity. It's where you are seated. And God says we are seated in the heavenly places. That's where we're seated, with Christ. That is the place where we operate from, right? Our home is not where we are seated. Even our childhood home is not where we are seated. America is not where we are seated. This planet is not where we are seated. We are seated above with Christ in the heavenly places. That is the place where we operate from. And I think it's significant that we're seated. Christ is seated on the throne. God is seated on the throne. Right? Because, why? Because he's ruling. And he's not running around panicking frantically. He's not pacing in the heavenly places. He is seated in the heavenly places. And I think we need to learn to live sitting down. Right? Even when we're walking around. Sit down. Or you are seated. Live as though you're seated. Stop panicking. Don't worry. Don't fear. Don't bow to false gods. You are seated with Christ. That is your spiritual position. The implications of this, of being seated with Christ, are, number one, compassion. When you look around at this world and the chaos, do you get angry? I do. We should have compassion to look at the world living like Ephesians 1 through 3, following the prince of the power of the air, and imitate God and be rich in mercy. So in the world, to be seated above breeds pride. But in the heavenlies, to be seated above breeds compassion. So we have compassion on the world. And we offer them Christ and freedom from worry, right? That we don't have to wring our hands, but to live seated. And perseverance. We will have trouble in this world. Jesus says that, right? In this world, you will have trouble. Death, heartbreak, persecution. But take heart, he says, I, was, I have overcome the world. That is our hope. I have more stuff here, but let me just finish with this because I want to save room for <laughs> testimonies and baptisms. C.S. Lewis, bring us home. At the end of his Narnia series, Kids join him uh, in Narnia, 
and they think they're going to be sent back home, right, back to their world. And he says, Aslan, the lion, this is the Christ figure, says to them, you do not yet look so happy as I mean you to be. I love that. I think that's what God's saying to us. You do not yet look so happy as I mean you to be. Man. And Lucy said, well, we are afraid of being sent away. Aslan, you've sent us back to our own world so often. And he says, no fear of that, because this is the end. Have you not guessed? Their hearts leaped, and a wild hope rose within them. There was a railway accident, said Aslan softly. Your father and mother and all of you are, as you used to call it in the Shadowlands, dead. The term is over. The holidays have begun. The dream is ended. This is the morning. And as he spoke, he no longer looked to them like a lion. But the things that began to happen after that were so great and beautiful that I cannot write them. And for us, this is the end of all the stories. And we can most truly say that they all lived happily ever after. But for them, it was only the beginning of the real story. And all their life in this world and all their adventures in Narnia had only been the cover in the title page. Now at last, here's what he, what's going to happen to them. What's going to happen to us? It's in the age to come. God showing us the immeasurable riches of his kindness. All of life has been a cover and a title page. And now at last, they were beginning chapter one of the great story, which no one on earth has read, which goes on forever, in which every chapter is better than the one before. So, lots of reason to rejoice. I'm done. Amen. Praise Jesus. Right? Uh, Glenn, I'm going to hand it over to you. We're going to have some testimonies, some baptisms. Might go a little long today. You guys got somewhere to be? If it does go long, you got to go. That's fine. But let's see how it goes. Thank you, Glenn.